I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. As you can see, if you're watching this on either YouTube or Rumble, I'm not in my usual environment. I'm at the beach, so you might hear some noises in the background. I think as I was waiting for the opening uh, introduction to the show to end, I heard a, what sounded like an ice cream truck out there on the beach. So, uh, there's, there's noises, but I'm including them as I do every year this time uh, uh, to create sort of a ambiance, to share the ambiance with you that I'm experiencing here. Now, because I'm on vacation, I'm probably not going to do an hour and a half, two hour long show. Probably going to try to keep it brief today. But I wanted to let you folks know that I was thinking about you and hoping that everybody's doing all right out there, gearing up for a brand new year. And uh, that's exciting, ain't it? Especially if you've been working on yourself, self-improvement, working on your emotional health. It's interesting to think back to where you were at just one year ago and then to imagine where you might be in just another year more. Positive good things like that and you know if you look back a year ago and you say well I, I haven't made as much progress as I'd like to that's an opportunity for you to realistically and practically uh, look at the reasons why what what is keeping you what's the obstacle addressing that moving on but but that positive approach and um, you know, practical, constructive approach to the thing will get you a long, long way. I haven't said it, I don't think, in a couple of years, but if you'll remember back in the early seasons, I used to repeat quite often, I think, a lot can happen in one year. It really can. Think about how much can happen in two years, three years, four years. And so uh, hopefully you folks who uh, were with me last year at this time have seen the accumulation of the benefits of your adjustments, your, your healthy adjustments in your perspectives and your thinking. I was talking to my daughter Eloise a few days ago and uh, she seemed to be holding something back from me. So I, I said, come here, what's going on? What, what, what's going on? What, is there something you need to tell me? She started getting nervous and said, no, no daddy. And her nervousness made me wonder even more what she was hiding from me. So I said, now come on, are you sure there's nothing you want to tell me? She says, no daddy. And then she got emotional. And I said to her, well, now, wait a second. Why are you upset? You know, it's okay if you're upset, but I'm, I'm, I'm wondering why are you emotional? I don't know, Daddy. I don't know. And so I said to her, well, let me ask you, let me tell you something. Uh, if, if there's nothing that you're hiding from me, if you haven't done anything wrong, then, then why would you be emotional? I'm try Just help me understand this. And she said, Daddy, I'm a girl. And I said, okay, but what's that got to do with anything? She said, Daddy, don't you remember just a few days ago, you yourself said 
that women over worry about things for no reason and <laughs> it's true I sh we were watching a movie or something and the woman on there was excessively worrying about things and uh, she says uh, oh the woman couldn't sleep and so Elo Eloise says well, why can't she sleep I said well because women overly worry about things for no reason lots of times it's just a part of being a woman and she remembered that pulled that out on me that day and uh, I laughed so hard she's uh, clever she's very clever but she I'm not sure so much that she's being clever as just being very honest and uh, it made me think of course that she takes the things that I say and then meditates on them later she really spends time mulling them over in her brain so it was a funny thing it was a beautiful thing I thought you might like that story I've been asked uh, several times how long did it take for me to go from believing that my value as a person had to come from outside of myself to believe in that I myself provide the worth. How long was that process for me personally? Well, the truth is, is that that process for me personally was pretty much instantaneous. The best way I can think to describe it is like an orphan. An orphan who learns one day that he has parents out there. In other words, he didn't just spontaneously come into existence. He has parents out there somewhere. So when he learns it, hey, hey Bobby, uh, we found your parents. We know who your parents are now. When he learns that, it's a truth that he instantly recognizes, right? somewhere in the back of his mind this is something he always knew but um, it wasn't until somebody tells him hey we found your parents that the truth then is instantly recognizable of course I've got parents of course I didn't just spontaneously come into existence that might not be the best illustration for what it was like for me but it was something like that I didn't realize um, you know, until I was 35, 38, something like that. Uh, I did not realize how I viewed myself. I didn't realize, you have to understand, that I viewed myself as worthless. Um, that's why so often when I'm talking to the folks that I talk to in this work, it's not surprising to me that they themselves don't know that they will actually argue that they do not view themselves as worthless. But, you know, it's the law of genuine attitude reflection that we've talked about in the past. It never lies. When a person loves themselves or views themselves as having inherent value, there's no other alternative except for you that to be visible in the ways that they are living their life the ways that they treat themselves, the ways that they behave, and those sorts of things. So lots of people say, no, I, I don't view myself as worthless. But the law of genuine attitude reflection doesn't lie. You can simply observe the way that they behave, the way they talk, the way they talk even is another big one. The way they treat themselves, the way they treat other people, the way they view and treat other people. These all are things, they're, they're a, a perfect mirror reflecting one's attitude, whether conscious or unconscious attitude, toward themselves, whether they do view themselves as having inherent worth or not. So, for most of my life, I lived with this attitude or this perspective that I have no worth, that I have no inherent value. Unknowingly, I did not, I was not consciously aware that that was my true underlying attitude toward myself. 
so when my eyes were open to the fact that that is the way I viewed myself. It was a huge shock and revelation for me, an epiphany that, that I have lived my entire life perceiving myself as not possessing worth on my own. It was enormous. I mean, it was life-changing. And I'll tell you the truth. Uh, it's not on the outline here, and I, it just come to my mind. It just come to my memory. That in that moment, in that instant, when my eyes opened up and I saw that I did not view myself as possessing inherent value, at that in instant moment, <clears throat> I knew that the fact that I did not perceive myself as an having inherent value was false, that that was a entirely, that it was a lie, that I had been living upon this lie uh, and believing this lie deep, deep, deep down inside of myself for my entire life. So you remember what the question is that got this conversation started. How long did it take for me to go from believing my value had to come from outside of myself to believe and I provide the worth myself, it was instantaneous. Now there were some other things that I had to work out. You know, I had a lifetime of interacting with life and thinking about life one way, uh, using one foundation, a false foundation, a false premise, and it took some time for me with this uh, new revelation to with this new understanding go out and, and allow it to encounter life and to observe it to see how it affected me and those sorts of things so that wasn't instantaneous I'm not saying that I was instantly cured of course I wasn't you folks have all heard me talk about how it took about seven years for me to work out all the details and all that stuff but as far as the understanding that my worth is something inherent to me that my existence provides it it doesn't have to come from people liking me or the things I possess or my skills or anything like that it's something that is inherent to me when I was born into the world I brought it into the world the worth comes from me I myself am the source of it that that shift was almost instantaneous. Now here's the thing. I've told you that in that moment when I realized that I had always viewed myself as not possessing inherent worth, I also in that ex in instant realized that, it, that that could not be true. That it could not be true that I don't possess inherent value. And in my mind, I looked out at the world at all the other people out in the world, and I realized they all also possess inherent value. I, I had never um, perceived other people that way either. That was another huge re realization I had in that instant, that because of the way I view myself, I also applied the same rules that I applied to myself to the world of humanity. And I, Instantly, um, because because this was an epiphany, it was kind of like an overwhelming realization of profound depth and scope, you know. But uh, I remember realizing also how this had have, had affected um, the way that I view and treat treat people. For example, I remember having a conversation with somebody one time, and uh, there was a, a big, heavy woman in the group where we where I was at and uh, they were talking about her and her worth and everything and and I remember thinking well she doesn't take care of herself what's all this worth they're talking about her having she doesn't even take care of herself she's big and heavy and doesn't take care of her looks she doesn't brush her hair uh, you know she's very frumpy What's this worth they're talking about? And I, I even said to somebody, 
I said, you know, by you folks drilling into her head that she has inherent value no matter what, look at the results. She's, she's got not going to be motivated at all to better herself, to lose weight, to pretty herself up in the morning. All as a direct result of you folks telling her that she, she doesn't have to work for anything. She's already got worth. Now, if you're listening to me say that and you're, agree- and you're saying, well, that makes sense, I agree with what Brian was saying there. This is the distorted thinking I'm talking about, that I'm often talking about. It's so sly. You see, it does make sense based on the false premise you're working from. The false premise being that your worth comes from the way you look. It comes from your weight. It comes from how many people like you or how attractive you are to other people or what you've got. That's not where worth comes from. And when you get healthy, you realize that it is that false belief system, the belief system that your worth is dependent on what other people think of you, that you see, if you believe that your worth is dependent upon what other people think of you, inherently what that means, and, and you know we've talked about this many times, is that you're not supplying the worth. Like your existence is not what's b- creating it. What's creating it is what other people think. So it's completely dependent on something outside of yourself, on what other people think. It's that unhealthy belief system that leads people to not take care of themselves, to not care about how they look and those sorts of things. You know, it's, it's um, ironic that it has that effect on us as people, but do you see that if you don't possess worth inherently, what's the point? What's the point of caring about, of caring about yourself, of taking care of yourself? What's the point of anything? You don't have worth. People's, what people think has worth, and they have to grant that to you. On the other hand, the healthy and truthful belief system that says our worth is inherent to us, that we supply it, our existence is what supplies it, that belief system leads to better health, a person caring for themselves, selves. Um, It leads to inner contentment and peace, which necessarily then uh, means that a person is not self-medicating with food, drugs, alcohol, those sorts of things, because they're experiencing peace and contentment within themselves. You see? So my thinking at the time when I was unhealthy, that false belief system had it completely backwards. But anyway, I said to the guy, well, look at her. Look at her. She doesn't even take care of herself. And you guys are saying she has worth. And what motivation is she ever going to have to improve herself? And he, he knew what was going on inside of my brain. He knew I had it all twisted up. And I remember him saying to me, are you saying that she has less worth because of her weight? And I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not saying that. But that is what I was saying. It's just that I, I knew that I had just outed myself and said something that's not supposed to be said out loud. And then I felt like he was going to judge me for that. That's why I took it back. But the truth is, that really was my perspective on the matter. I really did think people's value, an individual's value, could lessen and diminish based on their appearance and their weight. Terrible, terrible, sick attitude to, to live with. So if that's an attitude you live with, I hope you folks will work on that and try to, to have the breakthrough moment that, I'm, that I had and that I've tried to describe for you in the past. But it changed my life, that epiphany. Because I went on to build upon it for, uh, you know, many years after that, I, I'm still building, building upon it.
the question that we've started this discussion with, by the way, if you'll remember, is how long did it take me from going from the false belief system related to worth, where it comes from, who, you know, um, uh, you, we've talked about this, of course, in the past, the two different ty uh, in, uh, distinct belief systems related to value, human value. There's the commercial value system, which says that everything has to come from what people think. Your car's value is based on the commercial value system. Your iPhone is based on the commercial value system. All these things, all materialistic and commercial things are based on what people think. And then, you know, you've heard me say how much, many problems that causes when we apply that to people because it doesn't apply to people. When it comes to people, the only value system that works is the inherent value system, which means it doesn't matter what people think because, you know, a car is not supplying its own value. What people think of the car is what is supplying the car the value. With people, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't matter what you personally think of me. It doesn't affect my value as a person and vice versa. It doesn't matter whether I like you or not. Um, that has no bearing whatsoever on your value when you yourself, your existence, is what is supplying the value. Now, <clears throat> that shift in that perspective, me going from observing and perceiving myself and people in the commercial under the commercial value system is that being the premise for all of our worth my worth your worth everybody's worth me going from that to the inherent value system and the, that shift in my understanding and perspective was instantaneous for me like I said it didn't mean that all my problems went away or that I suddenly loved myself I, I had to time had to pass with me understanding the truth of how human value works and that the inherent value system and me applying it to myself, me applying it to other people, uh, me allowing it to affect my perceptions and my dealings with myself and with people. Time had to go by in order for that to fully get fully implemented into my life. So that was not instantaneous, but the, the shift in my perspective was instantaneous. I knew it was true, just like that orphan finds out. Hey, you've got, you've got a mom and a daddy out there somewhere. And he goes, ah, of course I do. Of course I do. The truth of it is instantly recognizable. He doesn't have to sit and ponder if it, if it could be true or not. He just... Yes, it's, of course that's true. And that's the way I was with <clears throat> realizing that my value as a person was inherent to me. As well as the realization that my previous perspectives were entirely false. Uh, that was instantaneous for me. Now I have to tell you, for most people that I've been talking to in the last five years while I've been doing Last Symptom, that has not been the case. Uh, by far the majority of people I talk to struggle very, very much with making that shift. And I wish there were a trick that I could tell you that would cause you to immediately accept the truth of it. But so, but you know, uh, here's the problem with that recovery authentic recovery is an individual accomplishment it's work that a person must do within himself or herself and hurdles and objectives the hurdles can only be overcome and objectives can only be reached by the work and effort going on inside each individual. That means that I cannot do it for you. I can try to lead you there and help you along, but I can't do it for you and nobody can do it for you.
So no matter how many thousands of dollars you spend on the best psychologists or best programs and treatments, um, they also can't do it for you. Nothing can do it for you. Why not? Because they, they aren't you. Those psychologists aren't you. Who's the only person that a psychologist can fix? For real? Himself or herself. So it doesn't matter how skilled they are. Why not? Because, again, what is the nature of authentic recovery? How's the only way it can happen? The only way it can happen is by the work that an individual does within himself or herself. Any hurdles that are in there, only that person can overcome those hurdles. Other people like myself can describe what it was like for me. We can explain certain truths and certain errors in thinking and that sort of thing to, again, try to help you along. But, but the achievement of overcoming those hurdles of um, making progress and reaching objectives can only be done by each individual within himself or herself. You know, one of the one of the the most important ingredients to authentic recovery is insight. It's insight, and a person can't give you insight. I think I've said it in the past. Even if you go to a university and you pay, you know, $100,000 on an education, they can teach you knowledge, but they cannot grant you insight. Uh, what is insight? Insight is taking knowledge and chewing over it until light bulbs start coming on in your head and you start seeing it in a way that only a person who is very intimate with that subject can see a thing. That's insight. So you can see now why the best universities in the world cannot promise you insight. The, the best they can promise you is knowledge. But it is up to each individual to take knowledge and to turn it into insight, to an in, insightful understanding of a thing. And you know, really the problem with the professional community is the lack of insight. And it's my assertion that a big cause of the lack of their insight is the fact that they don't value it. What they value more is knowledge and accolades. You know, knowledge is great, but without insight, it's worthless to you and to me. One of the, I'll tell you one of the things that helped me instantly know that my worth was inherent to me once I realized that I had viewed myself as not having inherent worth. One, th one thing that I instantly realized is that the belief that my worth was not inherent to me had been put there. Now, that seems very simple to say, doesn't it? But uh, work for insight into what I'm trying to share with you here. What, what is the insightful part of this that I'm trying to share with you? If I... If it occurs to me that this belief that my worth is not inherent to me was put there, if, if I had this realization that the belief, that my belief that my worth is not inherent to me was put there, what does that, what does that have to mean necessarily? What it, have to, what it has to mean necessarily is that it's not there naturally, right? If it was put there by my parents, it means that uh, the belief is not natural. It's not a naturally occurring belief within me. Somebody put it there. My parents put it there. Now here was the other realization I had. Anything that had to be put there cannot be the truth. That was a huge revelation for me. All of this happened within a, an instant of time. And then again, I, it was so profound and, and huge in scope 
that I, of course, had to really meditate on that for years afterwards. I still think about it a lot. A child does not naturally grow up believing that their worth has to be granted to them, that they, that they don't have worth on their own, that they have no value on their own, that it has to be earned, it has to come from outside of themselves. Children don't adopt that belief by themselves naturally. And if they don't adopt it on their own naturally, and in fact it has that belief has to be taught to them, it has to be put inside of them by somebody, then it can't be the truth. You know, so I'd like to encourage you, if you're struggling with this, to, to spend time thinking about that. Anything that had to be put there is not was and it, it's not there naturally means it's not supposed to be there. Think about if some, if the doctors find metal, uh, a shard of metal in your body. Instantly you know that's not supposed to be there, right? If it's not supposed to be there, it means it's not there naturally. It's not a natural part of you. It doesn't belong there. And so I, for me personally, the realization that I viewed myself as worthless and the realization that it had been put there, that that belief uh, was not natural to me, it had been put there. I instantly viewed it like a shard of metal in my body. I knew it didn't belong there. So I knew it couldn't be true, this idea that th this whole belief system, uh, this whole erroneous belief system about how worth works, that, that it's based on, on everything outside of me, but that I don't supply it myself. It was a shard of metal that did not belong there. And I saw that instantly. I instantly recognized and saw the truth of the fact that all... It, and, you know, what probably helped, another thing that probably helped is that... I wasn't just applying the rule to myself. So also instantly I, I thought in my head of the world of humanity, of people, and I, and I felt my heart break for, to even um, imagine the idea that all of these people out there, you and me and my brother and my sister and all the people I loved, it broke my heart to even consider that they might not have value that they themselves might not have value that their value might be dependent only on whether other people like them or not or love them or not or admire them or not it, that broke my heart so my heartbreaking for everybody else the the world of humanity I realized well that that applies to me too. My heart should be breaking for myself too. That I have lived for so long viewing myself that way. What a terribly destructive false belief. I knew it was false immediately. So that's something to think about. To spend time thinking about. If it's not there naturally, it doesn't belong there. If it, if it was put there, it means it doesn't belong there. Um, and if it was put there and it doesn't belong there, it's false. Now there's a guy on um, a channel, there's a channel on YouTube that I watch semi-frequently. The name of the channel is Townsend and uh, it's this guy, he, he kind of lives like 18th century life. Dresses like it, lives like it, he shows like the foods and stuff and the clothes and the, the way people lived like in the 18th century and uh, he was talking the other day about how simply observing a thing alters it and now I knew that this was true for like physics for example 
this is referred to as the observer effect. Some of you folks have heard about this, some of you haven't. The observer effect typically applies to particles. So, uh, let, let me, I'm trying to think of the simplest way to describe it. When you're observing things like electrons, photons, things like that, when scientists are observing those things, the simple act of observing the photon or the electron or whatever it is alters the photon or the electron or whatever whatever it is they're observing. Try to wrap your mind around that. The photon or the electron will appear and behave one way when nobody's watching, but uh, but the simple act of observing it, even if you don't reach out and, and touch it or do anything to it, the simple act of observing the photon or the electron changes its behavior. Um, I got this from futurism.com just to kind of help me explain the, the concept to you. Think about a, a thermometer. Alright, you want to measure uh, how hot or cold a thing is. The mere presence of the thermometer will raise or lower the heat of whatever it is you're trying to measure. So this observer, the observer effect applies not just to something you're observing but um, anything you're trying to measure as well. If that example doesn't clarify what the observer effect is for you, I've got another one. And I got this again from futurism.com. It says, imagine that you're blind and over time you've developed a technique for determining how far away an object is by throwing a ball at it. All right, And they said a medicine ball, but we can simplify that but just say ball. So now, the, are, are you following me? Imagine you're blind, completely blind, but you've developed this technique. You, you carry balls, bouncy balls in your pockets. And now with your eyes closed, imagine that you want to know how far away an object is from you. You can throw a ball, and the ball will hit it and bounce back to your hand. And so using this technique, you begin to be able to understand your surroundings by bouncing the ball and the ball coming back to you. So for example, if you throw your ball at a nearby stool, the ball will return quickly and so you know that the, the stool is close. If you throw the ball at something across the street from you, it'll take longer to return, right? And so then you know that this object is further away from you. You're blind, you can't see, remember? The problem is that when you throw a ball at something like a stool, the ball will knock the stool across the room and may even have enough momentum to bounce back. So you'll be able to know where the, the stool was, but you don't know where it's at now. Your technique of understanding where things are around you is actually affecting, it's having a direct effect on where things are from you. So you know where the stool was a second ago when you threw the ball, but you don't know if it's still there, do you? You don't know if your interaction with it has, has moved it. So the same thing happens when scientists are observing, uh, physicists and stuff like that are observing um, things on a, on a micro scale. What is it that we use to observe things? What is the fundamental thing we need in order to observe anything? Light is primarily the thing we use, right? We need light in order to be able to see anything. Light in itself is powerful enough to completely change what is going on in most observations. So light would be the ball being thrown in the analogy that we made. And there's this thing called the double slit experiment, which is crazy 
and it's hard to get your mind around it. Electrons, photons, and other fundamental objects in physics behave as waves in one instance, behave as particles in another instance. And you know what determines it? Whether or not you're observing. In that, that experiment, if you really want a, a brain... Uh, if you really want your brain to do loopity loops, look up the double slit experiment and read about that. Now, back to this Townsend guy that I watch on YouTube. I had never considered it before. I heard him do it, but he applied the observer effect to other aspects of life. So not just physics, but on everything. Say you walk out into the woods and you sit in the woods and just observe around you. Your observing the woods is changing the course of nature. Just you're sitting in the woods and observing. You're not digging, you're not cutting, you're not doing anything. You're just observing. The very act of observing nature has an effect on nature. So when I heard him talking about that, I realized that this was true for me too when it comes to inherent worth and inherent value and all these things. The instant realization, for example, that those beliefs had been put in me as a child, that they weren't there naturally, now made me aware of those beliefs. <clears throat> My simple awareness that, because remember, uh, 35, 38 years, I lived not even knowing that I viewed myself the way that I viewed myself. What happened once I become aware that I viewed myself as I viewed myself? Well, then I was able to observe, observe that in action. I, I could observe how those fundamental beliefs were affecting me in real time, in the real world in any situation I was in and my mind was constantly observing now with this new awareness and what happened the observer effect happened simply me being aware and observing began to change everything as soon as I realized and began observing that I viewed myself as worthless my sense of worthlessness began to be altered. The simple observation of it began to alter it. The beliefs effect on me began to be altered. So, let's say last year you were with me here on the last symptom and here we are, It's a, we're getting ready to go into a new year and maybe you're still struggling with this idea that your value can be something that you yourself provide to the world it's inherent to you it doesn't come from outside of you that's not how it works let's say you're still struggling with this I want you to think about the observer effect you're simply being aware of it that you live with that belief and the simple act of observing it day after day, its effect on you, the way it um, affects your behaviors and your thoughts even. How about the, uh, the inner dialogue you have with yourself? How, how many times do you make a mistake and you go, oh, I'm an idiot? You know, you, do you know how many people do that? So many people I, I see doing that. And it's a reflection of what? It's a reflection of their unhealthy perceptions of self-worth. You know, years ago, when I had this realization, I began to observe how these beliefs uh, affected me, these false beliefs. The observer effect began to kick in. Almost instantly, dialogue like that within myself, oh, you're so stupid, went away. I don't do that anymore to myself. I don't have that dialogue with myself anymore. Um, it, you know, if I make a, a dumb mistake, I might say, oh, now that was stupid. But I don't say, you're stupid to myself. 
I recognized that the thing I did might be actually stupid. But doing a stupid thing and being a stupid thing are not the same things, are they? And you see the subtlety of that. The subtlety and that shift in thinking. Um, the observer effect began to have positive effects on me in small ways which accumulate over time. Small ways and big ways. But, it, you know, for me, the effect would have been much greater because, like I said, I, I had no problem seeing uh, the lie, uh, seeing the lie as a lie and seeing the truth as, a, as the truth and, and embracing it. And I know a lot of you folks are struggling with that. It hasn't come as easy to you as it came to me. And, um, but what I'm trying to emphasize here is that there are positive effects happening anyway. As long as you're observing consciously, observing these things day by day in your life, as you're uh, continuing down this journey of self-improvement and authentic recovery. To close today's show, I wanted to tell you about my dog Tippy. I promised you guys I would not long ago, and, and so now's the time. I had a dog named Tippy. Mom and Dad said one time, well, you're not feeding Tippy. You're not, you're not doing your chores right. Uh, you're negligent about feeding him his food every his supper every day and so uh, we're going to give him away and I begged them please don't give up please don't give Tippy away I love that dog I love that dog now I was like 10 but they said no you're not feeding him not keeping up with your chore there so uh, we're going to give him away and I cried I begged please don't give Tippy away I love that dog They gave him away. They gave him away to uh, somebody who lived about uh, about 10 miles away. And I remember crying in bed at night, thinking about my dog, missing my dog. You know, it's not unusual for children, 10-year-olds, to uh, be neglectful in their chores. And I think about how rotten that was of my parents to not factor in and be more reasonable and to be so eager to give my dog away. But the story doesn't end on a sad note. About two months passed and I got off the school bus one day and there was Tippy, my dog, my mutt, ugly looking dog, in the yard there to greet me and he come running up to me and he had briars and stuff all in his the fur of his coat and it looked like he'd been through the ringer and I ran in to the house to thank my mother and father for for finally breaking down and going and getting my dog and bringing my dog back and they said we didn't do it we don't know how he got here you know what that dog had done apparently that dog missed me as much as I missed him and he traveled on foot. How he navigated, I have no idea, but he traveled those 10 miles through the woods all the way back home. That dog found his way back home by himself, having never traveled, never traveled. His entire life had been spent there in the woods where we grew grew up, growed up, grew up. <laughs> and. Um, and that truly happened. So you see these Disney movies about these dogs, like, uh, it just seems so unrealistic, don't they? That a dog gets separated from his family and travels, you know, 50 miles, finds his way back home somehow. The instinct of animals is so incredible. The intelligence that, that, that they have that we cannot measure, but that clearly they have senses and directional equipment within them and and knowledge of things that we can't even tap into this little mutt ugly dog tippy found his way back home and walked those 10 miles home through the woods faced what sorts of adventures who knows what sorts of dangers did he circumvent and get around and to make his way back home but that that's a true story and 
and he really did that and so uh, I begged my parents please don't send him back to those people that you gave him away to and um, even my cold-hearted dad said uh, no the tippy tippy went to all that trouble to be back here with us uh, he he gets to stay so he lived out the rest of his days with me and my family and that's the story of my dog tippy folks i hope you have a wonderful next few days i'm going to be so happy once all the holidays are over and we can get back to a sort of a regular regular schedule um quick announcement thelastsymptom.com is my website full of free and paid resources take a look at that support my work any way that you can it's much appreciated um our group the uh the last symptom online community is on the locals platform l-o-c-a-l-s you can join by going to the last symptom dot locals dot com or by downloading the locals.com app from the app store and just searching for the last symptom the reason that that announcement is so important is because we're doing live streams weekly now exclusive to that group and uh, so you'll see me on camera in real time you get to chat with me within the chat ask me questions interact with me tell me how your life's going and and i get to respond to those things in real time so if that sounds valuable to you uh, please consider joining our group there on locals and uh, taking advantage of the live streams which uh, will get back to a normal schedule as soon as these holidays are over i'm sure most of you understand and that's it take care of yourselves everybody i'll see you real soon bye bye